we welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor, challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Romans 5.1, uh, 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 Paul writes and says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 2, and this Jesus Christ is through the person through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access. So we'll be reconciled to God. We have peace with God. But then by faith, we have access into this grace in which we now stand. So you see what Christ did and you see where what Christ did has given you the ground to stand. Very important. Very important. And, and this right here is already the changing of how you are seeing what you're seeing. Right here is changing how you're seeing what you're seeing. Because in times like this, where the mountains have been cast into the sea, in a manner of speaking, what keeps you going is knowing that my sustenance is not up here. God is able, God, you, having all sufficiency in all things. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, I believe, shall have, all sufficiency. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, such that you having always having all sufficiency in all things may have abundance or may abound, may have abundance for every good work. God is able to make all grace abound. All grace abound. And, and in the context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that grace included material supply because that was the context of what Paul was talking about. Of course, we have all the riches of God, of God's glory and grace. But in the context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, if we're going to be honest to Scripture, the fulcrum of it was given in a material sense. And Paul says, even that, God is able to make that grace to abound to you. And that's the area we're in, where God cannot... I mean, imagine that you are saved and you're sanctified and you're an heir of the kingdom and God leaves you to just hustle for yourself. Of course, you work. Of course, you tend to your business. Of course, you mind your business. But ultimately, supply comes from the Lord. Provision comes from the Lord. Or as Paul will not have prayed to them, to the Philippian church, for the, for the Philippian church in, in Philippians 4, that and my God, verse 19, shall supply. He didn't say your spiritual needs. Lest we say, okay, well, there's, there was a limit to the scope of what Paul was talking about. He didn't say your your physical needs your emotional needs he says and my god emphatically shall supply he says all your need according to his riches and glory by christ jesus so your supply comes out of the rich god's riches in glory through christ jesus christ jesus accessed for you and gives you access into God's riches in glory from which your supply is met. 
is given, is released, from which your need is met. What Christ did brings you into God's riches in glory that supplies your need. All your need. And that's why we're not worried. That's why we live the way that we live. That's why our joy is complete. Because joy is not seasonal. Joy is not a function of what is happening around you. That's happiness. That's excitement. Joy is an understanding of, of your nature in Christ. Because that's, that's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. And now you begin to understand why the gospel is relevant at all times in every situation. Christ is the message of the Scripture. Christ is the message of the Scripture. It's important that we see Him in the midst of everything, the way that he intends to be seen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Genesis 5 and 4, what man lost when he fell in Genesis 3 was not physical life. What he lost was access to God. What he lost was the life of God. What he lost, or what, he, what really happened to Adam was the disconnect from the brain box of divinity. Does that make sense? So he lost the ability to be processed from the feeder station of God. He lost the ability. He lost the connection. Are you following? He lost the connection to the brain box of the Godhead. So from that point on, he now became on his own, having to trust now his natural brain. And therefore having to rely on his natural sight. But in the beginning, it was not so. He didn't lose physical sight. He didn't lose physical life because like we saw. In fact, the reason why they could intermarry in that time, again, as a type. Amen, Lord Jesus. You see where they, they are marrying of the same um, um, agenda. And if you look at it very critically, are they even... Would you even exactly call it incest? Seeing as Eve came out of Adam and then all other human beings came out of Eve. So you see that the DNA was so pure and so genetic that there could have been no birth defects from Cain marrying his sister, for instance, and them going on to interbreed until, if I even Moses' mother, uh, father, Ahimelech, uh, I believe was his name, if I remember correctly, married from the same clan of Levi, you know, um, yeah, uh, married from the same clan of Levi, um, a man out of the house of Levi went and took as a wife, a daughter of Levi, you know, and it went on until, I think, or something, until, I think until Leviticus, before God now gave a commandment to stop that. And why? Because it had been done enough for us to know that the coming marriage of the, of, of the Lamb was such that the Son of God will not marry a bride outside the clan of God. But the problem was in the clan of God, there was only one son. So we had to now put that son in the earth and out of that son bring out Another breed, another of the same breed that that son can marry. Just as what happened with Adam and Eve. Out of Adam came Eve. 
because for Adam was found non-suitable. Remember, he says that Adam named everyone, but for him was found non-suitable. So Jesus is there and for him is found non-suitable. So out of Jesus, who is also put to sleep in his dying, out of him, <laughs> now comes a species of people that before him had never existed. Before. Pure in the same sense as Eve was pure to Adam and therefore qualified to now be married to Christ. I'm, I'm going to come back to that in a bit, but Adam lost, he lost the connect. He lost, you know, we, talk, we talked about yesterday how Christ is our interface. He lost the interface. He lost, oh my God, why am I here? I, I hope this is helping somebody because, you know, it, it says of, of Adam in the Garden of Eden that you can eat all the trees of the garden, but of this tree, of the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil, you may not eat. But there were two, besides the other trees that were given to them for food, there were two trees specifically they were singled out the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life god never said to them to not eat the tree of life so in genesis 3 when they fell from eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they lost their righteousness their infused original follow-com righteousness they became aware of what was right and what was wrong they became aware of morality they became aware of wrong decisions they became aware that initially that was not the plan of god for man the plan of god for man was just to live irrespective of wars around him because by his default state he was pleasing in the sight of god so man did not need to worry about am i doing something wrong am i doing something right am i in the right path am i in the wrong path am i going to get past mark am i not going to get past mark because he was in the image of god god designed him by default as pleasing in his sight in his image after his likeness and when man fell and the cherub was sent to uh, of course god clothed them which was a sign of redemption i'll talk about that another day because right there when man fell, fell what did god do god sacrificed blood shed blood instantly to cover for them killed animals quickly to instantly institute that without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin and he escorts them out of the garden but he puts an angel with a flaming sword and he says the angel's duty was to guard the way to the tree of life. That means prior to the fall, man had access to and therefore was eating off the tree of life. Does that make sense? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put on his hand and, and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Because at, at that time, if man had eaten of the tree of life at that point in that state, he would have eaten away our redemption. He would have remained perpetually in the state of disconnect between man and God. So God blocks access. Don't, guy, don't touch this thing again. And of course, you know that that tree of life is symbolic of christ so man loses access to his connection loses access to his real sight and of course man becomes aware of his nakedness man becomes aware of morality man becomes aware of good and evil and and and, and the struggle of man become be, begins and man is struggling now with his to be to be governed by his human senses 
by which he was not originally designed to be governed. Man is now seen with his natural eyes, with which he was not designed to see. Man is living by his natural life, which he was not designed to live by. And the redemption plan kicks in right there. You know, the, the, the seed of the, of the woman shall bruise uh, the serpent's head and the serpent shall bite his heel, bruise his heel, all of that stuff, you know, indicative of redemption. All of that fulfilled in Christ. So the redemption plan plays out. And Romans, now Paul comes in Romans, Romans 5 and, and explains that just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, in the same way the free gift through the one man that all the many have been made obedient. What that means is that what Christ did is a complete reversal and therefore perfection of what Adam did. And if that's the case, then we understand that our real reality is that we are restored to the original state of man in the sight of God, which is that man is designed to be totally dependent on God and not even be conscious of right or wrong, morality, nakedness or clothedness, worried about whether I'm pleasing God or not, because all of a sudden man is back to that place by virtue of the interfacing of Christ, our, our great mediator and high priest, that man is now pleasing by default to God, because man is by default again reconnected. Hence the word reconciliation. Yeah, God reconciled man to himself. God reconnected. To reconcile means that before then there was a concile. Yeah. Mm? Yeah. Then there was now a disconcile yeah. in order for there to be a reconcile. Just like for, for Nepal to reconnect your light, it means that your light was connected, then disconnected, and therefore reconnected. So at the point of reconciliation, what happens? Man takes on the man in Christ, the man in Christ, the man in Christ, not all of mankind, the man in Christ takes on access to God's feeder station. You're plugged back in. Like I said yesterday, God begins to flow through man and man begins to flow through Christ to God. God through Christ to man, man through Christ to God. Man and God reconcile back to Eden. Problem is, when Paul says that, if any man be in Christ, so Corinthians 5.17, right? He's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Do we really understand what that means? Do we really understand what it means to be a new creation? Totally new creation. Never, ever having existed before. When he now says in Romans 12 and verse 1, Paul again speaking, that I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable, um, which is um, your reasonable act of worship, which is a reasonable service. And verse 2, do not be um, conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphomai, by the renewing of your mind. And I've said over and over, we quote, the problem is we quote that text and we stop there. We quote, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and we stop there. But I've said over and over that if, you, if you're going to be true to the text, you realize that the transforming of your, of, of your, your transforming by the renewing of your mind is for a particular purpose. And the particular purpose is that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. To prove is to grasp, to lay hold of, to comprehend, and therefore to appropriate that which is. So the reason why you are uh, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, and having to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4 says, uh, transformed in 
in the renewing of the spirit of your mind is that you may comprehend God's will so that you can reinvent yourself pretty much so that you can discharge yourself of all the initial connections all the initial stuff that flows and, and all the stuff that you have gotten accustomed to living according to the dictates of the flesh and then you can re it's, it's pretty much like you you are installing a brand new operating system on a computer you're installing a brand new it's like installing a brand new operating system brand new operating system flushing out the other one nothing survives of the old OS when you install a new one. Nothing. It wipes it clean. Fresh install, it's called. And that's what the transforming of your mind, the renewing of your mind in transformation, that's what it does. Such that you're able to now train your human body to understand that, listen, the matching orders by which I live have now gone back to default. It's no longer me on my own. It's no longer me having to figure my way out. It's no longer me having to fend for myself. It's no longer me having to, 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 to process things by my natural senses or process things by my brain or process things by my mind independent of God. I am now reconciled to God. So God is my mind. God is my brain. And the interface of that is Christ. That's what we have. That's why I started by saying earlier on in the previous, previous feed before I went off that it's important that we understand that we cannot live a life of full advantage and fulfillment in the absence of the knowledge of who we are in Christ, in the absence of our understanding of what the work of Christ brings us into. Because that is then when it begins to inform what you now see and begins to inform how you see what you see. Yesterday I mentioned Matthew 14, the, the story of, of, of um, the disciples on the boat with the waves and how they saw Jesus as a ghost because they were still processing. I don't think anything is more disturbing and more concerning than the possibility and the prevalent reality that there's lots of believers who have not deliberately disconnected themselves from their human faculties to reconnect themselves to their original faculty. There's nothing more sad than a believer who says that they have repented, in quote, been converted, in quote, accepted Jesus, in quote. And even when that is true, like I said yesterday, how you can be a child of God and still be blind with 2020 vision and not be able to comprehend the fact that that singular act of your faith and that faith was a gift of God Ephesians 2 9 by which you are now saved by grace that singular act of believing that singular act of laying hold of eternal life changed everything about your life the fact that there's many believers who are living oblivious to the gospel and the attendant benefits is very sad. And it is a gross indictment on the teaching ministry of the church. It means that the teaching ministry of the church falls very, very short 
And that means that there's a lot of believers in different strata of, 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 of levels of Christianity that are not skilled in the word of truth. Are not able to rightly divide the word of truth, even though they've been in the Lord for a very long time. Because it takes a deliberate effort. Deliberate effort to disconnect your mind, disconnect your sight from the natural, and begin to realize that what there's a greater sight at play now. And I'm reconnected back to that. My, I've changed CPU. I'm here and, and, and at my display level, I look the same. At my screen level, I look the same. Does that make sense? At my monitor level, I look the same. But I've been disconnected from a particular PowerPoint and plugged into another one. And, and man, I don't know how. It's like coming from a Pentium 1. Even what before it, an early Pentium, and being plugged into an octa-core gaming computer yeah. on steroids or, or coming from Pentium 1 to the new Mac Pro mm -hmm. that has 1 TB of RAM. 1 TB. 1, one, one TB. RAM. SSD RAM. I mean, and even that doesn't even scratch the surface of the mad level of the believers disconnect from his old life and plug into the new life. And it's not for you to earn it. It's not for you to pay for it. It's for you to understand the possibilities that it opens you up into. To understand what it enables you to do. What it enables you to be. Who it enables you to be. And all that stands in the way of that is your inability which I believe ends tonight, to see through the lens of God. Because it turns out everything about a man is summed up in what the man sees. Because what you see is what you respond to. I hope you guys are getting this. What a man sees determines what a man says. I said this yesterday. What a man sees determine what, determines what a man longs for, what he longes for. What a man sees determines what he gravitates towards. What a man sees determines how he responds, stimulates and informs his response. So it's not just what you see, it's the information that what you see is telling you based on what it has, what has processed it. And so the New Testament is big on sight. How much? you see through what lenses are you seeing because what you see determines who you are you are what you see you are who you see second corinthians 4 17 and 18 second corinthians 4 17 and 18 we read that yesterday i just read that through again and then move on from there second corinthians 4 17 for our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 18, which is the emphasis for this context. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Now, think of the paradox of it. You are looking at something that is not seen. 
Why do you look? You look to see. <laughs> it's not so. It, it takes looking at something to see it. So you cannot see what you are not looking at. But Paul says here that we are looking to see what is not seen. And that's why sometimes a believer can look like a madman. Laughing at something that he sees that nobody else around him can see. For the things which are seen are temporal, fleeting, mundane, fickle. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So the believer's sight begins to be refocused to the things that cannot ordinarily be seen or cannot be seen with the, as it were, naked eyes. Christ is all we are meant to see. Because he is our sufficiency, you see. So if we see Christ, then even the things that cannot be seen are seen and grasped in Christ. And I asked, somebody will say, why should we see Christ in the midst of the lives and the storms? And before that, I asked, how do we see Jesus? And I answered, we see him by seeing everything in the light of him, right? And by seeing him in everything. We see everything in the light of Jesus and his will and his plan and his promise for us. And we see him in everything. We, we identify his working in everything. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. We were in the later verses just a few minutes ago. Back up to back up to verse 6. I just singled that out. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face. How do you identify, and that's, I just want to focus on that, it's a very huge text, but I want to focus on the, in the context of our, our teaching. How do you identify someone's face? By seeing. You don't hear someone's face. <laughs> you don't smell someone's face you see someone's face now if the knowledge if the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is packed in the face of Jesus then sir all you need to be looking at is the face of Jesus because in seeing Jesus you come into the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Because all of that, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is as revealed in the face of Jesus. Before you say, well, what does the knowledge of the glory of God profit me? Eh, remember Philippians 4.19? I just said earlier on, for my God shall supply all your needs according to what? In where? So where is your supply coming from? It's not glory. And where is this glory? In the face of Jesus. So when you see Jesus, what do you see? Light, knowledge, 
glory and of course attendant supply attendant protection attendant status elevation attendant benefits all were in the face of jesus so when he tells them in matthew 6 and 33 i believe yes matthew 6 33 seek ye first the kingdom of god and all his righteousness no no, no go back he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you seek King James, King James says, and all his righteousness. You know how, he, oh my God, <laughs> Jesus. You know how John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John 1 and 2. All things were made by, you'd have expected at this point to hear by it. But it says, all things were made by him who is him the word okay so the word is used but is referring to him a person matthew 6 33 and i know some translators translated it wrongly but in the king james new king james it says seek you first watch this the kingdom of god and his righteousness why does it not say Seek you first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. I'm checking a plethora of translations. His righteousness, his righteousness. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Who is his in this verse? The kingdom. He hasn't said Christ. Of course we know it's Christ. But just like John 1 didn't say Jesus. But we know that he was referring to Jesus because Jesus is the word. Right? Matthew here says, seek you first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Who is his in this text? The kingdom. <laughs> oh my God. So seek you first the kingdom. Basilia is the word. We know that. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his. Seek you first the Basilia and the righteousness of that kingdom. And then you look at other verses where Jesus tells them the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is within you, referring to himself. What did he preach? We say Jesus preached the gospel. What did Jesus preach? Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. If we say the gospel is about Christ and Christ is the kingdom, then we can understand when Jesus was preaching the kingdom, what he was preaching about, or rather who he was preaching about. Because the kingdom of God is encapsulated in Christ. Where are the heavenly places in Christ? Where is heaven? In Christ. Where are we hid with God in? In Christ. Where is the seat of the fullness of the Godhead bodily? In Christ. In him dwells. <laughs> the secret of the Godhead bodily. So he's the host of everything. He's the kingdom. And he is his righteousness. He's the righteousness of the kingdom. Because Christ, for God made him who knew no sin. Right? To become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. The kingdom is coming. Look for it. Look out for it. Look out for it. That's what you're telling them. Look out for it. Seek ye first. Look out for it. So he said to them, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and shall be opened. Look out for it. The kingdom is coming. Don't miss the kingdom when it's coming and the righteousness the kingdom is bringing. Because the righteousness the kingdom is bringing is different from your current view of righteousness. 
the righteousness of this kingdom is different from that's why in Romans he will say to them, Paul will say that they neglecting the righteousness of God sought out their own righteousness because they had a righteousness about about themselves based on their sight based on what was processing what they were seeing Romans 10 and verse 1 brethren my heart's desire and prayer for to God for Israel who were the um, direct primary audience of Jesus's teachings is that they may be saved Paul says verse 2 for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge 3 Romans 10 and 3 for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God for for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes so who is the righteousness of the believer Christ but Paul here acknowledges that the Jews had a form of their own human righteousness does that make sense so so Christ the primary audience of Jesus when were not unbelievers or sinners in the way that we understand what a sinner is no these were informed spiritual pious law-abiding people who had their own form of righteousness and jesus says seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness there's a kingdom coming and that kingdom is coming with his own righteousness that is apart from your righteousness this coming is apart from your righteousness the entire discourse of jesus to the multitudes establishes the righteousness of the kingdom of god and christ is that king and so we as we see him we see we come into the access of the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 to 9. Hebrews 2 and 5. Hebrews 2 and 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? This is quoting Psalm 8. And I've, I've, I've said it many times to you guys in our local church, you know, in, in, in the teaching, that a lot of times we have looked at scriptures that, that were referring to Christ and appropriated them to men or to man in the absence of Christ. And some, some other of such scriptures have a dual application. They apply, of course, to, to the immediate environment that David was in. And of course, they apply even on a much greater reality to Christ. But, but the, the majority of them, David had no clue what he was saying. He was, just being, he was just being used as a vessel. And so this is a classic example. He was quoting um, um, David's uh, um, declaration in Psalm 8. What is man that are you mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? Now, if you go back to Psalm 8, oh my Lord Jesus, I'm trying to not make this thing a very long teaching. But man, geez. <laughs> Let me know if you get to this. Let me know. Psalm 8, from verse 1. O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and, and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, chai, fingers, oh. so the moon and the stars which you ordained, 
These are the work of God's fingers. What is man that thou art mindful of him? That's how it goes into verse 4. And the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with honor and glory. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. And you would think you read that and go, oh, Father, you are mindful of us. How, you know, what is man that I am mindful of us? And, and right now it could be true, but at the, in the context of this, it was a prophetic declaration about Jesus. So now if you come to Hebrews chapter 2, you will see where it starts in verse 5. I'm saying that Jesus is all there is to see. I've said over and over, Christ is the message of the gospel. Christ is the message of the scriptures. And that is, that, that is, that is what is coming to the forefront in this season. There's a remnant of people out there. There's a bunch of people out there that, that the Lord is amplifying the message of the gospel in their mouth because the entire message of the scriptures is about Christ. Excuse me, when Paul wrote, there was no New Testament. Paul is the, is the progenitor, as it were, of the message of, the, of grace. The gospel of grace is fleshed out in the revelations of Paul. And how did Paul get this? By reading the scriptures. What are the scriptures? Genesis to Malachi. That was all they had. And then the 400, what they call in theology, the 400 silent years between Malachi and, and when Matthew starts to happen. All Paul had was Genesis to Malachi. How did he come into that knowledge of Christ? From the eyes of his understanding being opened to see the real message of the scriptures. So Paul saw Christ from Psalms. He saw Christ from, from Proverbs. He saw Christ from Isaiah. He saw Christ from Abraham. He saw Christ all through the Old Testament. It's the same thing that happened with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, isn't it? In the book of Acts, I, 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 I hope this is helping somebody. All this, you know, uh, diversion or enter here, come out, enter here. It, it's all one message, isn't it? It's one message. One message. Yes, it's Acts chapter 8. And the Ethiopian eunuch, and then da, 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 verse 30, Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? King James says, Understandest thou what thou readest? I like it. And he says, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in scripture where he, which he read was this He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself, that is Isaiah, or of some other man? 25. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, Isaiah, preached Jesus to him. Philip used Isaiah that we will quote to kill somebody. Or destroy somebody to preach the gospel to Philip, such that Philip met Jesus from Isaiah. So, if you are here today as a believer and you read Isaiah and all you see is woes and all you see is danger and all you see is calamity and prophecy and you don't see Jesus, you are blind. You are still plugged to the wrong feeder station. And that's why you are a reflection of your sight. Because Christ is the centrality 
of the message of the scriptures. Luke 24, same thing. The guys, on, I mentioned this yesterday, the two guys on the way to a mouse. Starting at Moses and the prophet. Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of the law. He starts to expouse to them the things contained in them, and the prophets, of course, the things concerning himself. In John 5, Jesus tells them, he says, you know what? <laughs> on that day, it's not me that will even condemn you. It's Moses that will condemn you. By Moses, he meant the law. Yeah, the books of Moses. And he says, because if you didn't understand Moses, you won't understand. If you didn't believe Moses, you will not believe me. Because Moses wrote of me. The law wrote of Christ. So when you read Leviticus and see leprosy and don't see Jesus, read again. When you read, see blood sacrifice and you don't see Jesus, read again. When you see marriage and you don't see Jesus, read again. Because he's all there is to see. He's all there is to see. So I'm just, I'm just all of this are, are, are to help you understand the, the full nature of Christ. When he says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, we see God has caused to shine in our hearts the light of the glory the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In fact, I, I could go even further and take you back to Habakkuk 2.14 where it says, for the earth shall be filled with the same words, knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Excuse me, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God has caused to shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory. Of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. So when Habakkuk was saying that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, what was Habakkuk prophesying? Christ. A time is coming, and I'm telling you that that time is now. This is the age of the manifestation of the sons of Jesus. Habakkuk was saying, for Christ, the light, Christ, knowledge, Christ, glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what Habakkuk was saying. So Paul then explains that. Paul reads Habakkuk in the light of Christ and then explains that that light of the knowledge of the glory of God, look at where to find it in the face of Jesus Christ. That also tallies with the Hebrews 1, 3. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. I will start from verse 1. God, who at various times, I like, I like reading Hebrews 1. I like it, I like it, I like it. Every time, every time. God, who at various times, and in various ways spoke in times past spoke when in time past in time past time past time past oh i wish i could write a whole song and all the lyrics in the song is time past time past time past time past time past time past time past, time past. Time past. Time past. god in various times in various ways spoke in time past in time past in time past, to the fathers, the fathers is not referring to your father in the Lord. Yeah. It's not referring to your current father in the Lord. No, no, no. It's not referring to your spiritual father or your biological father. Fathers as per ancestors, like the way they said, you mean you're older than our ancestor Abraham. The prophets of the scripture. He spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. He used prophets to speak to the fathers when? In time past. Has in these last days, Malikandos Ebrakatila, Omakuzata, in these last days, has spoken to us by his son. In time past, he spoke to 
our fathers through the prophets. And that scripture just dropped in my spirit. But in, the, <laughs> in these last days, it's spoken to us through the Son. Go on, verse 3. Being the brightness of his what? Glory. So how do we appreciate the glory of God? Christ. Can you see how this explains 2 Corinthians 4, 6? That explains Habakkuk 2, 14. So to see Christ is to see the light of God. After all, that light was the life of men. Remember John 1? For the light shines in darkness and darkness could not comprehend it. What's that light? That's the light Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. That we see he has caused that light to shine. To give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that's what Habakkuk prophesied in, in chapter 2. And we see that the glory of God is as expressed in the face of Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So to see Christ is to see the brightness of God's glory. That's why now we have come to Christ. According to Hebrews 10, you know, you have come to Jesus Christ. Yeah? To come to Christ is to come to glory, as we see in Hebrews 2, verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and from whom are all things, Hebrews 2, 10, in bringing many sons to glory. How we know we are in glory because we are in Christ, who is the brightness of the glory of God. And as we see him, we are beholding the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Because it's contained in the face of Jesus Christ. So to see Jesus is to see the entire epitomization of the Godhead. And he has spoken to us through that son. And we have access to him. We see him. Does that make sense? So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 2. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's time to close. Time have go. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5, which is where we were. Hebrews 2 and 5. So, so this will make sense now. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testifies in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, referring to Jesus. So we see Jesus and somebody is saying, but man, we are going through dark times. We're going through difficult times. We're going through all this storm. What is the benefit of seeing Jesus? Continuing verse 8. For in that he put all in subjection to him. He left nothing that is not put under him. God left nothing that is not put under subjection to the Son. There is nothing God allowed outside the control of Christ. In other words, the jurisdiction of Jesus stretches across every element of human existence. The jurisdiction of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, the governorship of Jesus, because he's called the governor among the nations. He says, and the government, Isaiah 9, right, shall be upon his shoulders. There is nothing outside the jurisdiction of Christ. Nothing. So to see him is to understand your jurisdictional coverage. Nothing is left that has not been put under him. 
But now, but now, now, you know, apply that to where we are. Now, the times we're in. But now, we do not yet see all things put under him. <laughs> but there is nothing that is not put under him. In that he put all things in subjection under him. God left nothing. No situation. No tsunami. No pandemic. No virus. No sickness. No circumstance. Nothing under the heavens. And in the heavens. And under the earth. That is outside the subjection of Christ. Nothing. But, but, but now. Now. We don't yet see all these things put under him. Because we are seeing with our natural eyes. With our natural eyes is how we ask, if there is God, why are all these things happening? If there is God, why? Why has this had to happen the way it's had to happen? We don't, we don't see, humanly speaking, all things. How can Jesus be in control and this is happening? That's the story for another day. But verse 9 of Hebrews 2 says, But we see Jesus. Of course, it goes on, who was made a little lower than the angels, explaining that Psalm 8, that you made him a little lower <laughs> than the angels. So clearly, Psalm 8 was speaking exclusively about Jesus. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. We see, we don't see everything put under him. It doesn't appear with our human eyes that everything is under him. But we know with our real eyes that everything is subject to him. And therefore, the moment we see him, we plug into his authority over everything that is subject to him, which we now share since we are co-heirs with him. That's why I said you are what you see. Why should we see Christ in the midst of the life and the storm? Why should we see Christ in the midst of all that's going on? Because he's our destination. Christ is where we are going. Christ is our outcome. Christ said, no one comes to me except my father draws him. No one comes to my father except through me. <laughs> no one comes to Jesus except the father draws him. No one comes to the father except through Jesus. I am my father, I want. He says, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the door. If there's a way, there's a door. I'm the door. I am the house. In my father's house, there are many mansions. He's the father's house in whom all of us are. There are many dwelling places. He's the destination. He's the journey. He's the source of the journey because he's the seed, the incorruptible seed of God through which we were born again, according to 1 Peter. We're born not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed as through the word of God. And the word of God is who? Christ. The word of truth. John echoes in 1 John 1. Amazing. So we, we see him in the midst of the storm because when the storm passes, he is. So he's not a seasonal message. The gospel is an all-time, all-eternity message. We see him because he's our destination. We see him because he's our outcome. 
You know, I think First John 3, right? It says it does not yet appear what we shall look like. First John 3. I think First John 3, 2, I believe. Or First John 3, 2. Yes. Beloved, now we are children of God, Tekna, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So he's our destination. He's our outcome. Christ is my end. Christ is your end. The storm cannot be your end if you are seen correctly. A pandemic cannot be your end if you are seen correctly. A virus cannot be your end if you are seen correctly. Hunger and starvation and drought and famine cannot be your end if you are seen correctly. If that's all you see, and little wonder defines who you are. Little wonder defines who you are. It means you're still plugged to that Pentium 1. You're still seen wrongly, even though you have been reconciled to God. You have refused to plug up to his database and receive from the feeder station the brain of God that is what is supposed to process your sight, not your normal first Adamic brain anymore, which was useless outside the life of Christ. As we saw, God had to breathe life for that brain to take effect. And when he withdraws that life, the brain is useless, even if he's making your body stay alive. Your brain cannot navigate you into the counsel of God. Your mind cannot navigate you, especially in times like this, into the full knowledge of God in Christ. It cannot. If that's all you see, then change what is processing your sight. Because for the believer, our assurance is that Christ is my end. So if it's not ending in me seeing him as he is, it's not the answer. Let the mountains be moved. Let the mountains be shaken. We talked about that the other day, Hebrews 10, right? That we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let everything that can be shaken be shook. <laughs> let it be shook. But we are receiving a kingdom. And who is that kingdom? Christ, as we saw in Matthew. Oh my God, I hope you're getting this. Because he is the kingdom. When we look forward to it, that's when our salvation is, as it were, complete. So Christ is your destination. Christ is your outcome. It doesn't matter what life throws at you. Have the assurance that because I am seeing Christ through the brain of the Holy Spirit. So I look at a pandemic. I look at a virus. I look at unemployment. I look at my rent not paid. I, I look at my job on the line. I look at the fact that I'm having uh, house issues. I look at the fact. And, 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 and I, I, that's what I saw. RGB. But because I'm plugged to the brain of the Most High, the Spirit of God, because I am now spirit, I in, what the Spirit of God informs me is different from what I initially saw. So in the midst of what appears to be a setback is a setup for where you're going. In the midst of what appears to be a, 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 a that's why it says when men say there's a casting down based on what they are seeing, based on how they are seeing what they are seeing, we will say that there is a lifting up. Why? We are seeing differently. The whole understanding of the gospel is an understanding of sight. So Paul prays for the efficient church in Ephesians 1 and by extension all the churches that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you will know. It takes seeing to know. So men are saying there's a casting down because that's what, that's the, that's the, what the processing of what they, are so, they, the, what they saw, that's the result. But because we see from a different point of view, a different brain is now processing our sight. 
where there's a casting down, we see a lifting up. Where people are, are seen as the end. I wrote in one of my songs, I received, I survived. Oh, they thought it was the end. But it was only just a bend. I chose to see differently. I'm, I chose to see differently. And that's why I'm standing here today. And the only reason I'm standing here today, and by the grace of God being able to speak into your lives after all I have been through, is because in the midst of it all, I chose how I saw. I chose. And by natural circumstances, I was done. Done. End. Ministry finished. That's it. I actually told my wife, I said, you know what? That's the end. I don't see myself holding a microphone again. I actually told her. God used her to speak sense into me. He said, you can't think like that. You can't, you can't say that's the end. Because I, I had messed up. My God. And then I had been thrown. I had been victimized. I had been left for good. I had been basically killed off. And I had to refocus my sight and change how I was processing what I saw. Because by human indications, that was the end. But by the lens of the Spirit of God, it was just a bend. And so men are seeing deaths around and, and illnesses and, and, and everything is falling and failing. But in the midst of it, Christ is my all. Though my faith may fail and my hands may lose their grip, Christ is my all. My inheritance and my portion, now and to come, Christ is my all. Because he's my destination, he's my outcome, he's my end. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Malus cabrandis itugada. I hope this is coming together for someone. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Let's go to verse 16. I mean, the context of this is, is, is switching from, from, from the lens of the law, which I said earlier is the human righteousness, which is booted or booting from the human brain, the mind of a man that is processing access to life and God apart from God. And that's what the law did. The law was given to, to highlight sin, to make sin exceedingly sinful. The law was given as a tutor, Galatians says, to bind us until the time of faith comes. And now that faith has come, we no longer need a tutor. But even Christians in today's world are still looking at the world through the lens of the law. Ephesians 1.22 And he and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that feels all in all. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 3.16 Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Can you see? He said, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. I mentioned this yesterday. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 8. But we all, we but distinguishes us from them. I don't have time to go back into that, but if you just back up from verse 7, you'll understand it. Because in verse 14 it says, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil, the veil of the law, the veil of the ministry of death, the veil of the ministry of condemnation, which we are no longer under. Eh? Romans 8, right? right? Verse 1, for there is therefore now no condemnation. And God has not given us, 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of condemnation but of reconciliation so we're not anybody that's preaching condemnation is not preaching christ they have not seen christ 
<laughs> Let me keep to what I'm teaching. <laughs> I try to finish it. <laughs> it says, but their minds were blinded, verse 14, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because if you read the Old Testament and you do not see Jesus, you see veil on your face. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, Moses is read, meaning the law, a veil lies on their heart. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 18. But we all, with unveiled face, this was you, covered, but all the while convinced yeah. that you were seen. <laughs> because as long as you are not seeing Christ this is how you are in real life even though you think that you are full of 2020 vision sight and you can see even though you think you are deep very deep you are rheumatic you have uncommon insights into the mind of the father you are telling mysteries. It's only a person who does not see Christ that is preaching mysteries today. Because there's no mystery in Christ. Christ is the end of mysteries. Maluka, Sipra, Ando. Every mystery collapses into Christ. The mystery, Paul says, hidden before all ages and now has been revealed. Every mystery led to Christ. I say this on the authority of God's word with no apology. There is no mystery to the man in Christ. Every mystery led to Christ. The ministry of mysteries is over. The ministry. Oh, let me show you a mystery. Let me show you a mystery. Let me show you a hidden mystery. The ministry of mysteries is over. Every mystery collapses into Christ. It is the end of mysteries. Such that to see Christ is to mark the end of anything that is hidden. So that's why I've said over and over. I've said over and over. Those of you that follow us in our local assembly, you understand it is very, very clear in scripture. The, the believer in Christ that is seeing Jesus, the believer in Christ that is seeing Jesus cannot say eyes have not seen. You can't say eyes have not seen. And I'll show it to you in a minute. And I'll round this up. Lapus in Tibradaha. Isaiah 64. Isaiah is preaching, prophesying of Jesus. Ah, my look also. Isaiah 64 and verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, Isaiah 64, 4, men have not heard <laughs> or perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. This is the text, Isaiah 64, 4. Has any eye seen a God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him? Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul says, but as it is written, I has not seen. Paul is quoting Isaiah 64, 4. Right? I has not seen, or paraphrasing as it were, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. 
And we can call this scripture in church and go, hey, hey, but the Bible says we're going to pray for God to show us because I has not seen, ear has not heard. And neither has he entered into the, the mind of man. What God has prepared for those who love him. Brethren, God has prepared something for those that love him. We have to pray that our eyes, no, no, verse 10, see verse 10, see verse 10. Hold up, wait a minute, see verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through what? His brain, his spirit. So the moment a believer understands that he's a new creation, and unplugs his sight processing from his natural brain and plugs it to the brain of God, which is the real brain of the believer. The moment he does that, guess what happens? Revelation. And then the believer comes into the understanding of all that has been revealed by the Spirit. But God has revealed them to us. What is them? What I has not seen what ear has not heard what has not entered into the heart of man that has been prepared for those that love god all these things have now been revealed to us by his spirit so all we need to do is start to see from the eyes of the spirit and start to access the things that before now i had not seen an ear has not heard there's no mystery in the gospel no mystery left i repeat People are preaching mysteries because they're not seeing Christ. 39 mysteries for receiving your healing. 24 mysteries behind righteousness. 18 mysteries behind living a godly life. 24, 39, why am I saying 34 and 29? <laughs> 56 mysteries for an effective prayer life. And we keep calling mysteries because and most times when Christians are saying mysteries, Honestly, what they're saying is mystics. Honestly. It's mysticism in the name of Jesus. Not mysteries. Whoever sees Christ, the good news of the sight of Christ, the good news, Afro-Rentus, focus seen on Jesus, is the fact that he is the mystery buster. You see Jesus and all of a sudden, every hitherto mystery is resolved in him. He is the resolution of all mystery. And so we are asked to see him. Because in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, it now begins to make sense. That we all with unveiled faces, unveiled face actually it says, beholding as in a mirror, what are we beholding? The glory of the Lord. Where are we beholding it? According to 2 Corinthians 4, 6, in the face <laughs> of Christ. We are being metamorphosed, transformed to transform. How have you watched Transformers? When it transforms, it doesn't look like the vehicle it came from. It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, you see slight traces of yellow or green here and there, but it, otherwise, it doesn't look like a transformation. It's a total departure from your former state. Total departure, and as we look. At the glory of God in the face of Christ with an unveiled face, beholding it as in a mirror, exact replica. We are becoming what we're looking at. We are being transformed into the same image, not a likelihood, not a semblance. We are being transformed into the same image.
image. Just as by what people of God look at it in the 318, just as by what again? The spirit of God. What is the spirit of God? The brain of God. The central processing power of God. So as you are seeing and processing what you're seeing through the brain box of God, the spirit of God, you are being transformed into the image of Christ because everything your spiritual brain processes, the outcome of it, what it informs you, you saw, is Christ. You see an impediment. Your real brain processes it and tells you what you're seeing is Christ. See Christ in it. It's not a cliche. You're going through a misfortune and that's what is happening. And everybody else looking at it agrees there's a general consensus that is a misfortune. But by the time it travels up your real processing signal flow and all the spiritual options and photons act on it, by the time it informs you what you're seeing, the end result of what you're seeing is Christ. Same image. You're seeing it. You're seeing it. And you're transformed from the image of the former. Because you know how the, the, the prophet says, well, it shall come to pass that the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. So we are transforming from that glory to this glory. Whatever it is that we had, this glory, what is coming is, get, is better. I've always said better is never behind. Whatever it is you, you enjoyed, what is to enjoy is coming. It cannot be the end. The end is Christ. Everything collapses into Christ. In Matthew 17, I need to, I need to round this up. Whew, the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Matthew 17. You know, in, in, in Hebrews 1, earlier I said, God, who in various times and various ways spoke in time past to our fathers through the prophets. Verse 2 has in these days spoken to us through his son. Have that picture at the back of your mind as we go to Matthew 17. Verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, his brother, led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. He was transfigured, became another person. His face, his what? His face, his face, his face, shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. Can you see Peter? No, he, he was seen from he was seen from his natural brain. Yeah. And for natural brain, let us, ah, it's good though. Ah, see, chilling, flange, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, built three tents. And that's exactly what today's Christian has done in their natural sight. They've built three tents. They've accommodated the law as represented by Moses. You have seen over and over in the course of this particular teaching how Moses is synonymous of the law. They have accommodated the prophets because Paul, um, Jesus said that before John the Baptist, Elijah was the greatest and then John the Baptist is greater. And of course, we now are greater than John the Baptist. Elijah represents the prophets. Peter was saying, Aha! Rabbi, you know what? Let's have the law sitting together with the prophets, sitting together with Jesus. Let's mix more grace. Shiki, shiki, DJ. Let's mix law inside. Let's add you, Jesus, join. Didn't realize that what happened at the Mount of Transfiguration was a change of dispensation. 
Because God now speaks. While Peter was speaking what he thought was making sense, God spoke and corrected his sight. In verse 5, I said, while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice out of the cloud saying, bear in mind Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. A voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear. If you are hearing someone, it means the person is speaking. Hebrews 1, in time past, he spoke to our fathers through the prophets. In these times, has spoken to us through his son. Hear him. So God retired the prophets and the law on the Mount of Transfiguration when he, when he announced the son. When he announced the son, he retired the law and the prophets. So we see Christ and he's complete. We are complete in him. You are complete in him, Paul says, who is the head of all principalities and powers. He's all we should see. He's all we should see. Hebrews 12, 1, right? Seeing as we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let me close my Bible so I can start to tell myself that it's time to close. Because man, man. <laughs> Seeing as we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us... Lay aside every weight and sin, and as we set us and run the glance the race that I said before us. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher. Or another word says the perfecter of our faith. Looking unto Jesus. Because as we are seeing him, we are becoming him. You are what you see. You're what you see. I wrote here, your journey away from the trappings of the law are as complete as you see Christ. Your journey away from the trappings of the law, from religion, from what people are saying, from conspiracy theories, from humanly peddled mysteries. People are trying to mystify God. They are mystics in the pulpit. Because Christ is the end of the mysteries, the way he's the end of the law. Mysteries only existed in the law. The hidden things have now been revealed. They have been revealed to us by his spirit, his brain, by his spirit. Your journey away from the trappings of the law is complete as you see Christ. Your elevation above the cares of this world are as complete as you see Christ. Your disconnection from the mundane things of this world are as complete as you see Christ. The inability of life to put you down is as ineffective as you see Christ. The inability of the believer to be disadvantaged is as non-existent to the measure that he sees Christ. The inability of sicknesses, diseases, and viruses, ma'itoclopathy, and palisopa to infect a believer is as impossible and as, and as unlikely to the measure that you see from the lens of Christ. You are what you see. Life cannot get to happen to you what it cannot first get you to see. Because you gravitate by design in the direction of what you see. Your sight processing power changed, believer. Your sight processing unit changed. You're a different person now. Your perspective is different. And don't apologize for being the only one that sees the way you do. Everybody else is using their natural brain. But you, you, but you, you, but you, but we all, we, 
There's a difference between we and them. It's a difference. It's an exclusive class of people that have the ability to see like gods do. To see like God does. And human beings are running helter-skelter. And we look at it from the vantage point of our position in Christ. Do you appreciate the fact that you are sat above, far above, far above, up there, far above? And so from far above, you can look down at whatever life is throwing at your physical body. Look at what life is throwing around you. And from a vantage point, you can see from an elevated point of view that I'm above this. This ends for my good. Because Christ is my destination. Christ is my outcome. Christ is my end. Nothing else can end me if the end is not Christ. I have not arrived if I have not arrived in the fullness of Christ as he is. You are what you see. I hope this challenges you. I hope this instructs you. I hope that this spurs you on in this season to keep your eyes. Keep your eyes. Keep your eyes. See everything. In the lens of Christ. See Christ in everything. By the spirit of God. As the brain of God. The creative ability of God. That is resident on your inside. You can't be disadvantaged. You can't. Just change how you see. Change what is processing. What you see. You would wake up in the morning. You would look out the window. You would turn on the news. You will hear stuff. You will. You will. You see stuff. And everybody else around you will hear and see the same thing. But how you see is changed. What you're subjecting those colors to has changed. And therefore, what info will eventually come back to you as the sight has changed. That's how you know you're growing in sonship. That's how you know you're growing in maturity. That's how you know you're, you're growing in the fullness of the measure of the statue of Christ. That's how you know you're rooted and grounded. That's how you know you're, you're growing. I've just given you a tip to understand your growth. You measure your growth by the measure to which you're processing your sight. That's how it works. So tonight, just, just before we go, just pray in the Spirit, just take that all in. Just pray in the Spirit, take that all in. I know it's a lot. Just take it all in. And I make that your prayer, as, even as we go offline, make that your prayer that, Lord, I see from you I see from you I see by you I see through you I see it how you would see it and I see you in it and because I see you in it the end is good (laughs) because I see you in it the end is good 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 I choose to see differently even if I stand out even if I'm odd I choose to see. I choose to, to see. I choose to see the way that you would have me see. I, I, I disconnect my sight from my natural senses. I disconnect my sight from my natural senses. My real sight, not my physical sight. I disconnect. I, I, I refuse to continue in allowing my, my mental senses, my emotions, my mind, my sensuality to inform my sight. I choose to see as governed by your word. I choose to see as Christ will have me see. I choose to see Christ in it. Christ is my all. Christ is my all. He's my all. He's the light of the glory. The knowledge is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. I see him. I see the brightness of God's glory. I see the express image of his person. And as I'm seeing that in a mirror, I am becoming exactly that. And so every storm just enables me to get to Christ by destination. 
at the end of the day. Just pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. The end is good. 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 Maliko supratilaha. Konzo brogo de beshin kada balige sika tilindus. Badige di baluso sugro di malada hala guza dia. Zenge di brasco tuze brinde di ista kude ista hala. Zebra de malosco sumbre di gish. Zemba gadalisto sukra tila hande giso subra gadaha. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.